The text for today in Matthew 9, the word saw, is in the text twice, and I, I want to explore that amongst other things today, what it means to truly see how Jesus saw people uh, and how we might be able to see people. Let's pray, and we'll jump into Matthew 9. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are right here with us this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the sound of the rain and the gift of rain. God, as we open the text this morning and explore it, explore this scene where Jesus invites Matthew to follow him, I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. It's in the name of Jesus. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 9, uh, Jesus has, up to this point, he has called, uh, in Matthew's gospel, he has called four disciples, we looked at that text last week, uh, Simon, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and then he gave the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been traveling around the Galilee region of Israel, and in verse 9 of chapter 9, it says, Jesus went on from there he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, this word saw in the Greek is the word ido, which means to perceive, to understand, to experience, to consider, to be aware. And so when we are told that Jesus saw Matthew. It's not just he saw him with his physical eyes. It's Jesus saw him. He truly saw his heart. He saw who Matthew was. This man sitting at a tax collector's booth, despised by his own people because he's collecting taxes from them, Jesus truly saw him. He saw his humanness. He saw that he was created in the image of God. He saw that he was created for something so much more than being a tax collector. Uh, imagine how others viewed Matthew. Imagine how others saw him, what others thought of him when they saw Matthew. Uh, Matthew was stuck under two imperial systems, Rome and then Herod, who was uh, the local king, if you will, who he reported to and had to pay taxes to, who Herod would then pay to Rome. And so Matthew could charge what he wanted and keep the surplus. Uh, and so he's working for this imperial system and then despised by his own people. And when people would see Matthew, they would see someone they despised. They might call him a liar, a cheat, uh, one who has betrayed his own country, betrayed his own people. Uh, they would not see someone that they wanted to hang around with. But Jesus sees Matthew and says, follow me. He invites Matthew to follow him. 
follow me. It's this invitation, come with me, Jesus says. Enter into relationship with me. Join me in creating a community that fosters God's rule of shalom on earth. Be with me. This is the invitation when Jesus calls people to follow him. It's the invitation to be with Jesus and help form and shape a community that sets up God's rule and reign of shalom on earth. And it always happens in community because the way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. We're invited into the way of Jesus together to join Jesus in the restoration project that he is bringing right here, right now, in our midst. Follow me. This is the invitation. And so imagine you're Matthew and what you must be feeling when this rabbi comes and says, follow me. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Jesus had called four fishermen so far, and those fishermen left their boats, left their nets, and followed Jesus. Here's the thing for the fishermen. If it doesn't work out for them, they can go back to fishing. For Matthew, if it doesn't work out for Matthew following this rabbi, it is highly unlikely he can go back to collecting taxes. Herod's not going to rehire him. But what Matthew does, the text says he got up, left the tax collector's booth, and followed Jesus. Matthew is risking his livelihood. He's risking his income. He's risking everything to make sure he is secure and supported to follow Jesus. Uh, We don't know much about Matthew's story before this. Perhaps it was the only job he could get. Perhaps this was the only way he could make an income and provide for himself. We don't know if he had family he was responsible to provide for or not. Uh, What we know is that he was sitting at a tax collector's booth collecting most likely a toll uh, when people would cross over from Herod Philip's territory into Herod Antipas' territory. Uh, If you recall, when Jesus was born, we'll learn more about this over the next several weeks when we look at the early chapters of Matthew. When Jesus was born, uh, there was Herod the Great. And he was the one who was over all of Israel. He oversaw all of Israel as Israel's king, if you will. When Herod the Great died, he had three living sons. Uh, Herod had killed some of his other sons. Uh, Three that he didn't kill then took over Israel and they separated it into three territories. And so the territory Herod Philip had, when people crossed from Herod Philip's territory into Herod Antipas' territory or vice versa, there would be a toll. And it's most likely Matthew is collecting tolls as people go into Galilee from Herod Philip's territory to Herod Antipas' territory. And Jesus is walking by. And Jesus says, follow me. And the text tells us Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Now this word got up is the word antitimai. It's derived from anastasis, which means resurrection. And so when Matthew got up, The text is telling us Matthew experienced resurrection. Anytime we leave behind 
that which pulls us away from God, that which pulls us away from living into who God created us to be, that which pulls us away from God's best for us. Anytime we leave behind brokenness and damaged good, we experience resurrection. Jesus invites Matthew into nothing short of a resurrection experience. And it's like Matthew got up from the tax collector's booth, like he rose from the dead. That which was keeping him back, that which was killing his soul, Jesus invites him into something that would make him come truly alive. I wonder for us this morning, what resurrection is Jesus inviting you into? What is Jesus inviting you to leave behind, that which is killing your soul, that which is keeping you from living into who God created you to be? What resurrection experience is God inviting you into that will make you come alive and experience more of the full life Jesus created you for? This is what happens with Matthew. I think when we are seen for who we really are, and when we are invited into a new way of being in the world, it will bring about nothing short of resurrection. Jesus invited Matthew into a resurrection story. Jesus invites us into a resurrection story. So Matthew got up and followed Jesus, verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. So right after Matthew gets up from the tax collector's booth and follows Jesus, apparently Matthew invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. And so Jesus goes and has dinner with Matthew and many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, uh, as you know, tax collectors were despised because they were working uh, for an imperial system and had, in a sense, betrayed their own countrymen. Uh, sinners, N.T. Wright says, sinner is a label placed on those who didn't conform either to the strict religious requirements of the law or the strict political expectations of opposition to Herod and Rome. Uh, another way of putting it would be to the Pharisees, a sinner is anyone who violates the law according to their interpretation. To Jesus, a sinner is anyone who is living from broken desires rather than the deepest desire, which is always for God. Uh, the Pharisees viewed people in terms of black and white categories. Here are the rigid requirements of the law. This is the way we interpret the law. And if you don't follow the law, to the T, every time you're a sinner. Those who were outside of what the Pharisees' categories of right were. But for Jesus, it was simply those who were living from broken desires rather than the deepest desire God created us for, which is always for God, always to live into who God created us to be, always to be absorbed by God's love and live in love and experience the life God intends for us. Uh, 
huge difference between the way Jesus viewed sinners and the way the Pharisees viewed sinners. Uh, when we think about our deepest desire being for God, but how often we can live from broken desires, uh, and the Pharisees' view of black, white, right, wrong, um, I wonder if we ask ourselves this question, uh, duty or desire? When we do choose the right thing, when we do choose the right way, when we do choose even God's way for us, is it being done out of duty or desire? Because God's heart for us is that we would live from a place of desire, not duty. And it seems the Pharisees are consistently living out of this place of duty. We must do the right thing. It is our duty to follow the law. And this is the way we interpret the law, and this is the way the law must be lived. It seems like the people Jesus is hanging out with are living with a lot more desire. And Jesus is awakening them to their truest and deepest desire in God. Uh, this is Jesus' invitation. The Pharisees ask, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? There's different ways to ask questions, isn't there? Uh, we can ask questions because we're interested, uh, we want to know uh, more, or uh, we can ask leading questions. Uh, lawyers apparently are very good at leading questions uh, to trip people up. Alex is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <clears throat> uh, there, there is a way of asking questions that really will help open others up and allow us to get to know them more or to hear different points of view because we truly want to know and understand. Or there's ways of asking questions to try to trip people up. Uh, I had a seminary professor once who, this guy was brilliant. He was so smart, he was so intelligent. And I don't quite understand why, because I only had him for one class and I uh, uh, don't know him that well, but he clearly was insecure. Because his way of asking questions in the classroom was always leading questions. He wanted to show the class how much he knew and how smart he was, and he looked forward to tripping students up and then belittling them and letting them know how much they needed to learn still. Uh, that's not a good teacher. I don't care how smart you are, how brilliant you are, how much you know, uh, that method of teaching is harmful, not helpful. And, and this is the way the seminary teacher taught was asking leading questions to trip people up and then tell them the answer or the right answer according to him. Uh, notice when you read through the Gospels, Jesus is often asking questions to get people thinking and to generate conversation. And when we ask questions that generate true, authentic dialogue, it always takes the relationship deeper. It always expands the mind. It always allows for more 
dialogue rather than less. The Pharisees knew the right answers, according to them. They had all the right answers. And so when they asked, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? They, they for them, knew he should not be doing this because they are outside of what we understand is right and wrong, black and white. And apparently Jesus overheard this question because the disciples did not answer this question, Jesus did. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, the Pharisees, before the destruction of the temple, were primarily a society for teaching and table fellowship. The dietary, ritual, and legal orientation focused largely on this table fellowship, which was the high point of their life as a group. The houses of Hillel, Shammai, and others, uh, Hillel and Shammai were just uh, rabbis. Uh, another word for houses would be schools of Hillel or Shammai. They were rabbis who uh, differed on different points of interpreting the law. They disputed sometimes bitterly on the laws of table fellowship and the relative leniency or strictness of various masters consumed much interest. So the Pharisees were really into debating uh, how to interpret the law and what table fellowship should look like. But for all of them, they knew table fellowship should not look like what Jesus is doing right now. So what is this rabbi doing with tax collectors and those who don't follow the law according to our interpretation. He should not be doing this. Uh, notice the text had said Jesus saw Matthew and then says, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this. Uh, there's different ways of seeing. And when Jesus sees Matthew, he sees his heart, he sees his humanity, he sees what he was created for. When the Pharisees see what Jesus is doing, they immediately jump to judgment. And what is wrong with this picture? And in their minds, everything is wrong with this picture. And so Jesus says, go and learn what this means, which would be very offensive to the Pharisees because they know everything. They don't have anything to learn. Uh, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting out of one of the Old Testament prophets, Hosea, uh, and God had, had said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, through the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus is reminding them what's most important in life. The, he, he's referencing the sacrificial system, which they had set up an entire system of exactly how you do sacrifices at the temple and what it should look like. And you could not divert at all from that way of being. And Jesus said, you're so consumed with uh, debating and interpreting the best or right way of doing things whether it's sacrificial system or table fellowship or interpreting the Sabbath law or other laws. Listen, the most important thing is mercy. Living a life of loving kindness and mercy. Go and learn what this means. Stop with all your debating and start living a life of mercy rather than 
your black, white, right, wrong, we know what's best. And if you're not inside of what we know is best, you're an outcast, you're an outsider. Jesus says, mercy, not sacrifice. That's what God desires. Uh, someone passed this quote along to me the other day. Uh, Consider the difference between temple and table. Table is exclusive. Temple is inclusive. Table is hierarchical. Table is egalitarian. Temple is authoritarian. Table is affirming. Temple is uptight and status conscious. Table is relaxed and family style. (laughs) Unless, of course, you're at Thanksgiving and uh, you got a die-hard Republican and a die-hard Democrat. That that table fellowship always gets interesting, doesn't it? Uh, Table is relaxed in family style. Temple is a rigorous enforcement of purity codes that prohibits the unclean. Table is a welcome home party celebrating the return of sinners. The temple was temporal. The table is eternal. We thought God was a deity in a temple. It turns out God is a father at a table. Uh, Jesus invites us to the table where everyone is welcome, where there is no in or out categories. Uh, Paul would later say, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Uh, We are all one in Christ. The, the categories we come up with, uh, it's a tribal mentality that Jesus invites us to transcend and recognize the humanity of everyone. That everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone was created for something more. Everyone was created to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And we get to be a part of helping to make that happen. Jesus invites us to follow him. The simple invitation is to follow him to bring the good news of God's kingdom, God's shalom into our midst. Uh, How is God inviting you this week to bring the good news of his shalom into your areas of influence? Uh, The answer to the Pharisees' question why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The answer, because Jesus is the enfleshed word of God who is known in mercy, not sacrifice, in communion, not separation, in healing and acceptance, not judgment. Uh, Let's skip uh, one slide down to the next one. God's new world was being born and everything would be different. Which world are we living in? The old or the new? Workspace righteousness or mercy-based forgiveness that leads to resurrection? Duty or desire? Uh, we, We get to live into God's new world of shalom, of hope, of healing, of resurrection. Uh, The constant invitation before us is Jesus' words, follow me, 
follow me in the way of mercy, follow me in the way of forgiveness, follow me in the way of love, follow me in the way of hope, follow me in bringing about God's rule of shalom in our midst. Uh, it's not a one-time call, follow me. It's an every moment of every day invitation to follow Jesus into the best possible way of being in the world. Uh, the table, this gift that Jesus left us. We come to this table each week and we have the opportunity to remember what Christ did for us. We have the opportunity to remember the way Christ lived, the invitation to follow him in the way he lived, uh, and the opportunity to remember his death on the cross and what it accomplished for us, that in Christ's death on the cross, we have this hope of living a different way, that there is a better way of being human, that what, whatever is distracting us or preoccupying us, like Matthew's tax collector's booth, we're invited to leave it behind. We're invited to get up, to experience resurrection every day and follow Jesus and walk with him and by the power of his spirit, live into who he created us to be and ultimately experience resurrection. The, the way of the cross is the way of suffering, the way of death, the way of hardship, but it always brings about resurrection. And we're invited into that way of being, walking the long, hard road of the cross and experiencing resurrection, uh, experiencing dying to self, putting aside the false self, and living into the true self that God created us to be. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning, as you come and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, my hope and my prayer for you is that you'll hear Jesus' voice saying, follow me. Follow me. And that as you get up, you will know that resurrection is possible. That we can live this resurrected life as we long and hope for the new creation to come. May we also know that new creation is bursting forth right in the midst of this one right now. And the invitation is to follow the risen Christ each and every day. God, thank you. Thank you for stories like this that 
once again remind us of your mercy, your forgiveness, your desire for us. God, I pray that we'd be a people who live from the deepest desire you've given us. Always for you. God, heal our broken desires. Empower us by your spirit to set them aside and live into our truest desires in you. God, this morning as we take bread and dip it in the cup, meet us in this place. Nourish us, feed us, fill us with your presence. And empower us by your spirit to share that with the world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.